This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This is Good Morning Liberty. Yeah. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and across from me is Mr. Charles Chuck Thompson. How's it going today, Chuck? Running late, as usual. How about that? That hardly ever happens. For those of you out there who don't know, I'm never on time, and it's just me. So if you don't like those kind of people, well, I guess you don't like me. This is a Charlie problem. Join the Chuck Hate Club. It's easy. It's run an easy by club. Costco from the live group, which you can be a part of by going to joingml.com. See, so, you can love Nate and hate me. You get the best of both. So that means we've got a shorter uh, time, amount of time to do our episode. And maybe we can fit the whole thing in in half an hour. I'm not sure. We'll see. But it is White Pill Wednesday. We don't have a whole White Pill show lined up for you, but there are a few items. And I wanted to start with something funny something fun and it's good to see this this is a white pill it is good to see this on abc on jimmy kimmel seeing comedian dana carvey doing a joe biden impression and it's amazing it's so good we have to watch it dana carvey hasn't been relevant for 20 years well he's coming back as (laughs) joe biden he's coming back this is good he's always been good with the president so here we go dana But Biden came out as a really sleepy, sweet grandpa. And he was like, he's always repeating this story, you know. Yeah, I went to Scranton. I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. My dad, my dad lost his job. No joke. I'm not kidding around here. No, no human being in the world thinks that's a joke. Nobody. Is anybody? I lost his job. And then, you know, my dad, like, then he would do the number thing. Number one, the one part. Number two, what the guy said. Number three, you know the drill. Come on. No, we don't. So, yeah. Now what he does is he kind of whispers and then he yells. If you know, I think it's a wonderful move. Don't you love it? When he's like, we know how to get natural gas. We can get it. We know how to get it. That's what we do. We gave the people the private, the public, the private, the pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> That's good. Nice. Maybe the winds are shifting here for the for the mainstream. I mean, if you say you're going to go up there and do a stand up and and make fun of Joe Biden for a little bit, I'm not sure if too many late night hosts would have you on these days. Now, could this possibly be because he has the lowest rating and? like the lowest approval rating maybe so now they're like well the ship's going down we don't want to be a part of it maybe these channels are seeing you know what we could actually make a killing off of is talking uh fairly about joe biden sometimes Mm. not just trying to make him look really good that's right okay well let's do one more white pill wednesday video here from senator not senator congressman thomas massey all right, and then maybe we'll mention him later on in the show as well. This was good when he was talking to Pete Buttigieg yesterday about how much energy 
electric cars use and whether or not they have considered this fact in their conversations about energy. Newsflash, they have Also, haven't. coming from a guy who has his house set up completely off the grid, basically, running he, Tesla batteries and all kinds of things throughout his house. He knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or, a thing or two mm. about all of this. So yeah. let's, let's see what he had to say. The average uh, household uses 17% of their electricity for air conditioning. And um, that would mean the average household uses... 1,870 kilowatt hours per year for air conditioning. If that average household plugged in electric cars, do you know how much more electricity they would use in comparison to the air conditioning that air conditions their whole house? No, but again, I would emphasize it will well, let be me help less you. Let me help you with overall. that first before we go on because the numbers are important. It would take four times as much electricity to charge the average household's cars as the average household uses on air conditioning. Do you think that could be, so if we reach the goal by 2030 that Biden has of a 50% adoption instead of 100% adoption, that means the average household would use twice as much electricity charging one of their cars as they would use for all of the air conditioning that they use for the entire year. So I like that he asked them if they knew how much energy that would be. And he was like, no, no, we don't. No, <laughs> we, we haven't. We, that's not important. We don't ask those questions. It's who asks that kind of stuff? That's yeah. craziness. How can we get to the goal of getting everybody in electric vehicles if we ask what powers those electric vehicles? Yeah, you don't want to do that. Okay, so we're going... Now, that doesn't mean that going towards electric vehicles is a bad thing, mm -mm. by the way. I, think... I, I want one, personally. Yeah, you would. I, I travel a lot, and when, it, when that makes sense financially, I've got a car that's still working right now, so I don't need to buy a new car. The last car I had, I kept for seven years. I've had this one for four years, and so it hasn't been important yet. 100,000 miles in four years, though. It's mm. kind of a high average. So not paying for the expensive gas, that would be one thing, which means they're winning. They, they made gas really expensive, and now I'm thinking about getting an electric car. Congrats to everyone. Mm. Wow. Well, they might be winning. It really does. It really does work. Okay, let's get on to non-white pill news although let's see, i'm trying to think if your average electric bill is around 100 bucks a month let's say four times as much so you'd be spending 400 bucks a month well he's saying what they spend on the electrician the electricity for the uh oh, air, air conditioning just for that so it would be four seven, times as much yeah okay so if your average electric bill is 100 bucks a month 17 percent would be 17 dollars yeah so 17 times four money doesn't matter though but that would be i mean that's still probably cheaper than filling up your car once a week. Probably. Probably would be. Mm -hmm. Okay, to the... But how do you get that electricity? That's, <laughs> doesn't, that's Charlie, the thing. No, this is a single level yeah. issue. Single level analysis is all we need to do on this. And that's if, it it. Was, if it was nuclear energy, we'd be fine. Oh, Nuc nuclear yeah. energy to charge up your cars. No, those things explode and kill everyone. <laughs> so, you see, you hate um, LGBTQ plus children mm -hmm. whenever you talk about that. I hate Japanese and Russians. Of course. All right, the top story of the day should be in Dumb Bleep of the Week, and it may still make it to Dumb Bleep of the Week. We'll see. I've already got a full, sh more than a full show. We could do Dumb Bleep of the Week for the rest of the week. I haven't seen this at all. You haven't. Okay, no. breaking news just in from ABC. Representatives Ocasio-Cortez, Omar, and other House Democrats arrested in abortion rights protest at the Supreme Court. Now, this is good since Charlie hasn't seen this. So we're going to do this from the perspective of Charlie hasn't seen this. What do you think from the, I mean, look at that. 
Sure. Now, how dumb is that, that they just got arrested at a protest mm. in front of the Supreme Court? Sitting Congress people getting arrested for this. That's crazy. Let's Couldn't go say through women, could you? Go through some of the news here. Are they they're actually in handcuffs. This, huh? this is from a CBS News reporter. Staff confirms this video of Ilhan Omar under arrest and in handcuffs. She and other female members were arrested in a protest supporting abor- abortion rights in front of the Supreme Court today. All right, rolling through the news on this. Female members, huh? There's AOC uh, someone wearing a shirt says they won't stop at row. All right. U.S. Capitol Police, we made a total of 35 arrests, including 17 members of Congress. So this person says they were handcuffed and placed in the custody until their hearing unless placed bail. If not, you didn't arrest them and lying about something is hilarious. This person says, what do you mean they were not arrested? Please explain the photos of them handcuffed and in custody. There's the problem with the reality oh god behind the whole thing there's the picture of aoc from behind and uh no handcuffs wrist placed so they together. weren't cuffed. they were not handcuffed they just had their hands behind their back and their wrists touching each other making it look like they were wearing handcuffs but yes good lord oh are you serious i am serious i'm so glad you hadn't seen that i know yeah. i hadn't seen it at all so glad that's wow. awesome Okay. Wow. <laughs> it really looks like they got handcuffed and then clearly not. Not. Not wow. handcuffed. Do you think they planned that? Not one bit whatsoever mm-hmm. was this planned at all for people to be posting those pictures around. Now, well, folks, we just got some big news from our friend Mikkel Thurup over at expatmoney.com, and that's that they have confirmed the one and only Dr. Ron Paul for the Expat Money Summit. That is the online free expat money summit coming up in November. Of course, the link will be in the show notes, but you are going to learn all kinds of stuff from 30 experts, including Ron Paul, everything from how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, to centralized finance, to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, Stuff about gold and silver and other precious metals. Of course, I can get a second passport to travel the globe. And by the way, we just had Mikkel on episode 757 not too long ago talking about all the great things that they are showing people over at expatmoney.com. And of course, there's the Expat Money Show, the podcast on all of your podcast apps. We will put a link to that in the show notes as well. You can go listen to that with tons of great interviews and content constantly streaming out from Mikkel. So once again, register now for free. That's the expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what's happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register now for free. That's expatmoneysummit.com. And go listen to the Expat Money Show on all of your podcast apps. It's clear that she was not in handcuffs. No one was in handcuffs. The thing is, a lot of people are going to see the photo of her from the front with her hands behind her back being handcuffed. Now, what does this matter? Why why does this matter? The thing about AOC is you need a picture from the front and the back. (laughs) That's what I've always said about her. That's Mm -hmm. been my main criteria uh, for sure. For the the hands. You want to see the hand placement. Newsweek was rather uh, actually 
Pretty tough on AOC about this video of AOC pretending to be handcuffed viewed over 2 million times. This is from yesterday, a video of her pretending to be handcuffed already viewed 2 million times. Okay, that's great. And then to the article that I'm at right here from Angie Speaks, opinion piece from Newsweek. Like I said, they were all over this, okay? AOC's fake handcuffs reveal. Did this get, did this get uh, removed from Twitter? <laughs> not yet, no. And none of it has. Even the tweet from that CBS reporter saying staff confirms they were arrested and in handcuffs. <laughs> that tweet's still up there also. Gosh. And it was a 15-second trimmed video of them walking from the front, of them walking as if they were in handcuffs. God. Pretty awesome. That's that's just, it's all fake. Listen, mm. it's all fake. Do you think she actually cares? No. Do you think any of them care? No. Do you think? No. None of this matters. This is all fake. And the, this Newsweek piece is really good because it talks about how politicians have just become social media influencers. They're just staging themselves for photos. And and that's it. It's all about getting that photo off, that that one picture they can get out there to your supporters, to your fans, to your to your crowd out there so you can go on making money being a social media influencer mm. that's really all it is so so you can sell sweatshirts that's that's it let's <laughs> say tax the rich on them for 60 bucks video of representatives aoc ilhan omar went viral tuesday which seemed to show the two pretending to be handcuffed as police escorted them away from a pro-abortion protest both representatives were led away peacefully but seemed to be feigning being cuffed walking with their hands clasped behind their backs, only to raise their fists defiantly a few moments later. It is funny. They were walking, walking like this with their hands behind their back, and as, as she's walking away, she goes, <laughs> like, <laughs> what's the point? Yeah. it's all. It was all for the photo. Mm. It was all for this picture right here of her hands behind her back. Not a bad idea, honestly. Man. you okay. got to give credit where credit's due. I mean, that two million times? It's smart. Yeah. It is smart. The congresswomen were indeed arrested per the Capitol Police, alongside 14 other House Democrats. It was actually 15 other, but there were no handcuffs. The arrest consisted of being led by police to a shaded area and fined $50. Though the dramatic antics and histrionics of the congresswomen, their staff, and the media would have you believe that they were under serious duress. Now, see, this is the problem when you have to get permits from the government (laughs) to be able to exercise your First Amendment rights. So, I mean, does it explain why they were fined $50? Were they in an area that was restricted? I guess they were in a restricted area. Okay. I think that I think that um, Capitol Police photo explained, uh, what. well, one of their tweets did. I didn't pull it up, though. Which, by the way, in my opinion, there shouldn't be no restricted areas when it comes to government buildings. Mm. I think that's ridiculous. Not at all. Yeah. Not, not even the bathrooms. At all. It would all be quite astonishing if it weren't quite so commonplace. Performative duress is now common mode of operation for a new generation of politicians who have been shaped by social media and armed and ready with the toolkit of digital influencer. Similar to when they took a, uh, when they kneeled with Mm -hmm. a scarf. (laughs) And yeah, with the garb on and then uh, like AOC taking a picture in front of that fence in the parking lot with her all white clothing on. She was so upset about the children that were detained in the parking lot, I guess, that she was in. Not, <laughs> but didn't she have really a tear? Sure. She had a tear on oh, her yeah. face, Oh, yeah. Well, too. she at least had her hands in her face like she was crying. I don't know if she was actually crying, but it was just all for the photo. It's mm. all fake. Moments like this serve as a reminder of how the advent of social media and the impact it has had 
on the attention economy is now enabling our politicians to reframe their political aims in emotional terms, recasting what should be politics as little more than careerist sentimental posturing. The Congresswoman's antics perfectly encapsulate how the performative conventions of social media with staples like virtue signaling and self-victimization are infecting the way our politicians conduct themselves in public. Every moment is now a potential performance to an imaginary audience, their hands willingly held behind their backs to perform for the cameras, and their fists raised in the air to signal to their fans. It's, it's a really great article. Angie, this is from mm. Angie, Angie Speaks. A really great article. Okay, AOC is especially adept at the art of influencer antics. Her infamous Met Gala tax the rich dress, yet another example of a media stunt dressed up as a political statement that was designed to stir up controversy, even though she is a congresswoman in the most powerful nation on earth. Another classic of the genre was the famous photo of her dressed all in white, crying outside of a migrant detention center parking lot. AOC's history of self-victimization, emotional appeals, and confessional style on Instagram are straight out of the influencer handbook and have worked to enhance her power, not only as a political figure, but also as a fixture of the media cycle whose influence grows through controversial stunts and emotional exhibitionism. Yeah, like when she goes live on Instagram talking about how she mm -hmm. was in fear for her life during Jan 6, even yep. though she wasn't even in the building. <laughs> No, it's all real, Charlie. It's completely real. She's, com she, yeah, yeah, very sincere. Mm -hmm. AOC isn't a politician. She's a pull-influencer. 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 Adept at stirring the emotional current of public using sentimental spectacle. The collapse of the political into the emotional is great news for people like AOC. Unfortunately, turning constituents into adoring fans means you have little incentive to do anything for them in return but pose. That's good. That's, that's true. That's a good piece And right there. Honestly, that's exactly what they're doing. And, hey, they're pretty good at it. Do you, Who does this work for, you think? Like, what is the – what's the point? I mean, it's clearly obvious that she didn't have handcuffs on. She knows that people are going to say she didn't have handcuffs on because, I mean, there were people all around with photos, videos. She lifts her fist up in the air. She's walking around. Is it literally all just for that picture that she knows is going to be used on certain social media or news outlets with her hands behind her back? It has to be. And that's it. So, like, or, what, or what comes she, across from that Or message? she has a team of people thinking these things up and a team backing them up just thinking shit up. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, look, I think as a culture... We are shifting to this more emotional state, I would say. And I think the problem is, one of the problems is, and you know, Ben Shapiro obviously is famous for saying facts don't care about your feelings. Mm. And I think, I think, and then, and, you know, if we want to get deeper into this, I think this is what Jordan Peterson was alluding to in this postmodern era where like your truth is your truth and like how you feel about something is the like your interpretation and perception of reality is the real reality. Yeah. And there is no, there is no underlying truth, so to speak. And so it's perfectly fine to do something like this. It's perfectly fine to have these feelings. You know, I was listening to a podcast the other day with uh, Brene Brown and a lady by the name of Susan and was talking about toxic positivity. <laughs> and I was like, well, hang on a second. 
Toxic. What is toxic positivity? What is toxic positivity? I haven't heard of this. I'll never be accused of that. Apparently, it's people like me. <laughs> yeah. Who, who uh, take every situation and they look at the positive side of it, Ugh. and yeah, you know I hate they, that. They don't, they don't, they can't sit in the negative emotions, even though the Susan girl doesn't like positive and negative emotions. She, she doesn't like to label the negative emotions as negative because she doesn't see them as negative. You know, like the anger is fine and sad and those types of things is all fine, which is true, by the way. I think the, I think the problem is, is that we have gone so far into this feelings realm that they, like everyone wants everyone to sit in them for days but that's not how, that's not really how it should work. Like it's no, there's no problem with feeling these types of emotions, anger, rage, sadness, whatever. But at the same time, if you, if, if in turn you make that perception, your constant reality, then you're not, you're sitting in that emotion for too long and you're not very well emotionally regulated. Also, if you make decisions based on those emotions then you're like that, a child that is also a problem oh hold on i need to check this trade i'm in it's it's a ch it's childlike behavior yeah that's exactly what it is and that's i think that's what you're seeing in our culture is this and it's literally immaturity and there's no underlying truth to be like well this is wrong like we shouldn't do this because it's wrong to deceive people into thinking something it's more about getting the attention and the likes and whatever as they say, uh, bad PR is still good. <laughs> That's the same. That's the same, I think. Do you think social media has made this a lot worse? Like, here's a question for you. How often would you say a person's social media posts on Facebook or Instagram truly represent their life? Or let's just say about a specific thing. How often would you say a person's post about their relationships with their family or loved ones or anyone actually represent their relationships with their family or loved ones? About 10%. 10%? Give you it think? 10%. About 10%? Okay. Yeah. Like they're showing 10% of their lives. Why do you think people... See, mine represents perfectly. I don't say anything on social media <laughs> because I don't care and I don't really care to tell everyone about anything you used to you used <laughs> i did to. Yeah. yeah when i wanted people to go listen to my music yeah <laughs> that was about it i don't or when we first started good morning liberty it went over first yeah, yeah but then i got into a couple of political arguments with people that i don't want to have political arguments with i'd rather us just be cool with the fact that we're friends you know mm -hmm. because of all the other things so i don't post anything about good morning liberty or politics yeah at all from Facebook. It's all fake. That's one of the problems with social media. It's all completely fake. That's one of the things that drives me insane. Let's get into this next story. By the way, maybe tomorrow we need to talk about this whole charter school thing happening in Tennessee. Oh, yeah, we should. And, and around the country. Mm -hmm. Because I got into it with some family. <laughs> Speaking of, last into night. It. Last yeah, night? Last night. I need to hear about this. Yeah. As I was working, I was also fighting for liberty <laughs> and uh, talking to Rob from uh, Free I, to Choose. I saw that. that. Nice. Yeah. Um, but I just real quick, I want to mention that my brother we all know i haven't talked about him on the podcast in a while mm, the, the socialist one the libertarian socialist oh yeah yeah the guy who hates government but also hates corporations more mm. than government uh anyway he was saying that i didn't have a clue of what i was talking about and i was like that's fair how about i just post references from uh 
Dr. Thomas Soule, who's done extensive research into education and charter schools and uh, actually grew up uh, in Harlem in the ghettos of education and probably knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. Mm -hmm. And he was like, and then he came back with, oh, that's just a straw man. I'm like, (laughs) what is it with these buzz? Like, you don't even offer any sort of substance. It's a flag. It's people throw flags on the conversation when they don't. It's a penalty. You can't do this. That's a uh, that's a straw man. So then I then I actually posted like his actual studies. He actually released a book in 2020 that I haven't read yet, but I'm going to. But he's like charter schools and the enemies against them uh, that he released in 2020 uh, that he goes through this entire high school in Washington, D.C. That was an all black high school. That outperformed even two of the three white high schools for like 85 years, all before all of you know all of this education money and all that stuff. Anyway, really good stuff. We should talk about it in depth tomorrow. I think. So background on this next one, real fast. We have to get through an insanely complicated conversation in nine minutes. Uh, so the, like we're on a TV show. So the House has yeah exactly like that. The House uh, has passed this Respect for Marriage Act. What they're trying to do is to get ahead of the idea that the Supreme Court is going to overturn uh, Obergefell, uh, which basically made same-sex marriage legal across the entire U.S. that they are going to codify and also repeal the Defense of Marriage Act, which was signed by Bill Clinton, which defined marriage as between a man and a woman, Mm. you know. Um, those evil, evil, uh, racist, uh, or terrible, bigoted Democrats, as they are known for as long as as long as time. Anyway, so this is a little bit of information it's on probably that. the Republicans who, and we'll get to what we think about this because it's complicated. Yep. All right, here we go. What to know about the Respect for Marriage Act as DC lawmakers rush to codify same-sex marriage? So these are actually. This quotes. is also probably they're doing this so they could because everybody's mad that they didn't codify Roe. Yeah. So they're like, well, let's do this before the midterms, because that way we can say, well, hey, we codified gay marriage and we need your support to codify Roe. I'm imagining that, um, oh man, like Pawn Stars, you know, seen that meme where they're like, hey, I want to get this, this, and this. And they're like, best I can do is $300. You yeah. Know? Like, and uh, to me, this is, oh, we need to codify Roe and make sure abortion access is available for everyone to save lives or whatever. And they're like, best I can do is codify same-sex marriage. Right. That's basically what it is. Quote, marriage equality is a constitutional right that has been well established by the Supreme Court as precedent and this freedom should be protected, said Senator Tammy Baldwin. Tammy Baldwin. <laughs> the bipartisan <laughs> respect for marriage Byron. will enshrine and protect marriage equality and make sure legal same sex and interracial marriages are recognized. I take great pride in being a part of this bipartisan effort to protect the progress we have made on marriage equality because we cannot allow this freedom and right to be denied. The Respect for Marriage Act would, this is some of the bill here, repeal DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. The Supreme Court effectively rendered DOMA inert with its landmark decision in the United States versus Winder and uh, Orbage fell. This unconstitutional and discriminatory law, however, still officially remains on the books. This bill would repeal this statute once and for all. It would enshrine marriage equality for federal law purposes. The bill requires for federal law purposes that an individual be considered married if the marriage was valid in the state where it was performed. This gives same-sex and interracial couples additional certainty that they will continue to enjoy equal treatment under federal law as all other married couples as the Constitution requires. Now, up to this point, I think that 
there's no, and just to be clear, I don't have any issues with this actually. Um, to me, it's not even complicated up to this point. This is, the, this is Congress enacting a law saying that they are going to recognize these marriages that are valid in the state where it was performed. And to me, that's entirely fine. There's no issues. And I actually don't have issues with, with the other parts either, but that's where it starts to get a little bit more complicated constitutionally, in my opinion. Mm. And really, I mean, I don't think the government should be involved in marriage at all. But if, if you're going to be involved in contracts yeah. for some folks, then you have to do it for all. I do think the Equal Protection Clause actually plays a part. I do too. That's where I don't, I, you know, originally, like when it was passed, probably when I was still a right-wing Republican, I was like, oh, the bird fell. Gosh, dang it. Taking over all the states and letting the gays get together. And all. that was probably what I was saying. Uh, back way back when this happened, like yeah. six or seven years this ago. This is what Nathaniel was saying. Nathaniel, yeah. Uh, but then I'm like, you know, if the state is going to have a contract, if they're going to have that and they're going to allow people to enter into an agreement with one another to merge themselves legally, essentially what you're doing, um, yeah, I think that, that you could say that that's covered under the 14th Amendment, that that should be open to all people, regardless of their race or sex or anything like that. It's that pretty... Pretty easy to me Which now. Also, in my opinion, would open up to uh, to to poly to polys as well. I I believe that if anyone wants to enter into this contract, a consenting adult wants to enter into this contract, and any amount of people should be able to do it. That's a ridiculous and law to me. Th- to solve this problem, the easiest way to solve it is that the the state is not involved in this union. It, it shouldn't be. Yeah. But anyway, another thing it'll do it'll provide additional legal protections. The bill prohibits any person acting under color of state law from denying full faith and credit to an out-of-state marriage based on the sex, race, ethnicity, or national origin of the individuals in the marriage, provides the attorney general with the authority to pursue enforcement actions, and creates a private right of action for any individual harmed by a violation of this provision. And I have a quick edit. I said discriminatory instead of discriminatory. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I just wanted to make sure you guys knew that, that it was a discriminatory law. Very important. Not a discriminatory. So the, the next part that it does is it then also says that states must recognize valid marriages in other states. So that that's the next thing it does to codify same-sex marriage. That's to me where it gets a little more dicey when we talk about the Obergefell decision and all that and states rights and, and all those issues, that's the point where people can have disagreements or conversations back and forth. Can you force a state to recognize a contract in another state? That's, or a license, typically, essentially a license, a marriage license in another state. Now, luckily we already have stuff like this. You know, I got married in the Bahamas and we just got it to where that's just recognized. If it was legal when I got married in the Bahamas, then it's considered legal here. And so what they're essentially saying is that there can't be any discrimination. If you, if you do recognize the licenses from the other state, then you can't say that you're not going to recognize it based on the sex or the race or whatever of that person. The orientation. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think that this is fine. I think the, the gay marriage thing needs to be let go by conservatives. You can have a moral disagreement with it. This is a contract between consenting adults that the government is recognizing to give people uh, benefits or legal certification in one way or another. If your church doesn't want to recognize it, then that's another thing. If God doesn't want to recognize it, then that's another thing. That's between that couple and God. 
that's that's not for you to decide. But if the government is going to allow consenting individuals to sign a contract with one another, then all consenting adults need to be allowed to make that contract. Mm -hmm. That's what I would say on that. Well, Jeff, you're wrong. Um, I actually got married in Tennessee. He got married before we saved the legally. He got married on credit card points. That's yeah. where everyone knows. So the, here's so I, I saved a bunch of money talking to Geico. Here's a hypothetical for you. So we're talking about licenses and states recognizing them. Now, driver's licenses, like I have a Tennessee license, I can drive in California. That's fine, right? They recognize that, mm -hmm. my Tennessee license. What about my concealed carry permit? Only now, recognized in 33 states. Yeah. So 33 states are going to recognize that. Um, but I, Which means the Republicans are doing something wrong here. They need to be codifying this type of stuff. Exactly. Nationwide. Now, the, the Supreme Court, I think, is working on this whole thing, but I've got a license in one state that protects my constitutional right to be able to bear arms and protect myself. Why shouldn't the other states have to recognize that if we're going to tell states what licenses they should be recognizing mm -hmm. or not? Now, if, if you had a license to kill... Here's the difference. They don't recognize any of the licenses. Say California doesn't recognize any of the concealed carry permits or whatever. Let's just use a hypothetical here. The difference would be if California said, okay, Nate, you're from Tennessee. You have a concealed carry. You're white. So we recognize your license. But uh, that black guy right there, we don't recognize that guy's license. Then, to me, you got a 14th Amendment issue mm. right there. Sure do. So... That's really where I come down on this whole situation. It's 1 p.m. right now. Charlie right, has to go. He's in late and out early. Whew, must be nice, right? Must be nice, everyone. Let's all watch him, make fun of him quietly behind his back when he can't hear us. There he goes. He's heading out the door. Unplug this camera. See you later. He just waved bye to the camera. There he goes. Now he's out of here. All right. So now let's start talking really bad about Chuck. All right, so hopefully that all tracks with everyone. I don't know if it does, but I I, I do think, to me, there's a difference in, so let's say Tennessee said they weren't going to recognize any of the marriage licenses from a particular state. To me, that's something that they could potentially do. We don't recognize, okay, you got married in California, we don't recognize it. That would be a disaster. That would be a complete disaster. Now, if they say we're going to recognize some of them, but not all of them, because it doesn't meet our particular definition of this license, now we've gotten back into this problem of the 14th Amendment and why is it that they aren't recognizing this. And I do think that the federal government has a job, and that is to make sure that your basic fundamental natural rights are protected. Do you have a right to enter into a contract with another consenting adult? Uh, I, I think you do. The problem here is the government being involved in marriage in the first place. There are uh, benefits that are conveyed upon you, bestowed upon you by the government when you get married. And that is that is the issue right there. That's the problem that we're dealing with. Marriage, mar what we're talking about is this legal definition, this legal entity that you are able to create with another person. That's what we're actually talking about. Now, if you want to talk on religious grounds, then we're talking about something completely different. And that's not up to your state or you to determine whether or not you recognize that. That is between that couple and God. If you're talking about a religious grounds, we're talking about whether or not people should be able to enter into a legal contract. 
and the government does not get to speak for God in this case. They're speaking on whether or not they're going to allow people to enter into this contract. That's it. And if some people can do it, then all consenting adults should be able to do it. I've been thinking that the whole time, Jeff. Thank you for posting that. Although I was just hearing Michael Scott do that at Phyllis's wedding. That's what was uh, coming up in my head the whole time. Okay, let's let's end with one more white pill, and then we've got a, a couple issues. Uh, we got a couple things that we're going to be able to leave for tomorrow. And it sounds like Charlie's got a good one with the charter schools. I guess my issue is, well, I don't have an, I don't know if you're, I assume you're talking to me, Amanda. I don't have an issue with it being called marriage. We can call it that. But I think the issue between the disagreements with people is semantic. I think some people are talking about their idea and their religious definition of marriage. And then on the other side, what we're really talking about is this legal contract that we call a marriage. So it's not really with me. We can call it whatever we want. We can call them both the same thing. That's completely fine. But I do think it's important that the people understand that they're arguing about different things. The last white pill thing that we'll go to, this is good news. So we talked a little bit, oh, it's been a couple weeks now about this uh, store owner in New York City getting charged with murder because he defended himself against someone who came behind the counter and was attacking him and he stabbed the guy. All right. So those charges have been dropped and that is a good thing. There is a person who was charged with murder and was going to be going through a trial in New York and they have decided to drop those charges after there was enough uproar about it. So Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg announced he was dropping murder charges against New York City bodega worker Jose Alba. On Tuesday, Mr. Alba was charged with second-degree murder over the fatal stabbing of Austin Simon, who attacked him inside the Blue Moon convenience store in Harlem. Surveillance footage showed Mr. Simon confronted the bodega worker behind the counter and shoved him into shelves as a struggle broke out. Mr. Alba then grabbed a knife and fatally wounded Mr. Simon in the footage. Mr. Alba was sent to Rikers Island and held on $250,000 bond, which had a public outcry because of all that. They lowered the bond. He ended up being able to get out. Mr. Bragg came under intense pressure to drop the charges, including from Mayor Eric Adams, who said that his heart goes out to the hardworking, honest store clerk. The incident happened, by the way, there was a thing with Mr. Simon's girlfriend. She was trying to pay with an EBT card. It wouldn't go through. She ended up getting upset about that. And allegedly what took place is the worker grabbed a bag of potato chips from the girl's daughter. And she got real upset about that. She said that she was going to go get her boyfriend and that he was going to F him up. She goes out, gets her boyfriend. He comes back in. The store clerk says, I don't want a problem. The guy comes behind the counter, pushes him up against the shelves, knocks him down, uh, ends up grabbing him, I believe, by the neck or by the shirt, and is pulling him out from behind the counter. And the guy uses a knife, stabs him in the neck. Now, the argument here, uh, first off, was that he was going to drag the guy outside and make him apologize to the girl who he had grabbed the potato chips from. That doesn't matter. This guy is in a stressful situation. He's just been assaulted by a guy. 
Uh, he's dragging him out. You don't know what he's going to do. No clue what he's going to do. There's probably been a fair amount of crime take place in the neighborhood. Not that that legally matters, but it, it goes to the mental state of the person who's being accused. And in this instance, takes a knife and stabs him. He's originally arrested and charged with second degree murder with all those facts. Luckily, people got upset about it and the charges have been dropped. There should not have been any charges in the first place. There's clear video evidence of the guy getting attacked behind the counter, being assaulted by the man he defended himself. Case closed. That's it. But luckily, we don't have to worry about this guy going to prison when he shouldn't go to prison. When something good like that happens, even if it is in New York, and even if it is because people raise the fuss about it, I need to point it out, especially on White Pill Wednesday. Thank you for hanging out with us today, especially for hanging out with me because Charlie's gone. All right, so we can say whatever we want. Thank you for hanging out. Guys, make sure you share the show with a friend. You have a friend who's like, hey, I am in the politics. You'd be like, oh, well, you should check out this podcast. That is the best kind of advertising that we can get. A referral from a friend is the best kind of advertising you can do for anything. Way better than us running ads, better than anything, because people trust what they hear from their friends. All right, that's just the way that marketing goes. Referrals matter a lot more than the random ad you see online. So tell a friend, if you have a friend that you think would like it, tell a family member, tell the children that they should listen to Good Morning Liberty Liberty every single day of the week when we want to, whether Charlie even wants to or not. If you do all of that, we'll be right back here again tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Liberty.